0: Heavenly Father, we pray that this time of worship has been acceptable, pleasing to you, honoring to Christ, our Savior and Lord, and we ask that this time in your word uh, would be equally acceptable and pointing to you, God. um, Our our times here of worship are all about you and less about us, but what a gift uh, we've been given to come together as a church and be here for one another and uh, worshiping you in in everything that we do, Lord, from beginning to end. So we ask your blessing on your word now uh, as we speak about this uh, important matter, and uh, thankful that your word gives us clarity and truth and allows us to live in, in light of the gospel and light of Christ. We thank you and praise you. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, I've preached the last two Sundays about the purpose of the local church. And I trust it's been helpful for our understanding uh, why we are here, why we exist, why we do what we do, and uh, how wonderful it is that God gives us such clear instruction in his word about our purpose. Today I want to make sure that each of us here this morning understands and knows and owns from the Bible why it is vitally important for believers to become members of a local church. And If you're not a member of Faith Bible Church, um, this is not the only church in Southern California or in the Valley, but the point is that we would understand and know and own why it's so important, according to the Bible, to be a member of a local church body. I want you to know for yourself and to be able to answer others biblically. If they ask you why should a Christian become a member of the local church? Does the Bible say anything about church membership? And where? Where does it say it? And I think it'll be helpful just to define really quickly what church membership is. Okay? Because just kind of going to a church every Sunday is not church membership. So, definition. It's the formal commitment of oneself to an identifiable Local body of believers in Jesus Christ who have joined together for specifically divinely ordained purposes. I'll say that again. What is church membership? It's the formal commitment of oneself to an identifiable local body of believers in Jesus Christ who have joined together for specific divinely ordained purposes. And again, those purposes, uh, we talked about the last two Sundays, right? So I'd love to try to help you guys remember these kind of things with, um, you know, just helpful consonants. So it's W and E, right? Worship, exaltation, edification, walk, equipmentation, work, and evangelization and witness. Hey, that's the purpose, plain and simple, of any faithful, biblically-minded local church, Christian church. All right, so the church is called two main things in the Bible in the New Testament. They both begin with B, they happen to. One is the bride of Christ, and the church is also called the body of Christ. Believers in Jesus are all members of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12:13, I believe was that part of uh, today's Sunday school lesson? Yes, no. All right. So anyway, 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. Listen, it says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into what? One body. Okay? So when it says we were all baptized into one body, um, it's not talking about water baptism, and it's not talking about a physical body or a physical church building. It's talking about spiritual immersion, spiritual unity, And a spiritual body of believers. That's what 1 Corinthians 12 is talking about. By one Holy Spirit, we were all baptized into this one body. It says, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Okay, So it doesn't matter what your background is, what your education level is, what your social standing is, whether you're rich or poor. If you're a believer in Christ, we're all part of one beautiful body. And so... Part of the Holy Spirit's work when a a sinner gets converted to Christ is to make us into members of Jesus' body. It's the universal church, like I said last week. It's all across the planet, all across the globe. We're all a part of one spiritual body in Christ. Jesus is our head. He's at the top. He's the authority, and we are his body. And because a believer is united to Christ and other members of the body universal— um, we are qualified now to be members of a local expression of that body, which is the local church, the local assembly. Hey, that's the primary requirement to become a member of a local church, hey, that you are a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're saved. You're forgiven. You're a Christian person. Hey, you're a born-again person who's been made new in Christ. So allow me to share... Um, a few reasons why some people have not committed to church membership. Okay, uh, these are not all the reasons, but just a few main reasons why some people have not committed to church membership. And I kind of call these the crippling eyes. The crippling eyes. The they all begin with the letter I. The first one is ignorance. Okay, ignorance. Why do some people not become a members, members of a church? Because they're just not informed about this subject. They've never been taught. Okay? When I first became a Christian, I-, I didn't know that you had to become a member of a church, or the Bible says that. Okay? Um, so these people have never considered maybe what the Bible says, or does God say anything about this? They're just not aware, and they need to be instructed about this subject. Okay? So ignorance needs to be instructed. Rebellion needs to be rebuked. Okay? So um, the second I is indifference, indifference. Some people are just neutral about church membership. They might even go to church themselves uh, most weeks. But as far as membership, they can take it or leave it. They don't think it's necessary. They're busy with a lot of other things. Okay, making a commitment to a local church membership, not a big priority for, for them. They're indifferent. A third reason is indecision indecision they can't seem to make up their minds uh, maybe just about things in general in life and that includes church Uh, they're just indecisive things in life just seem to happen to them uh, rather than them taking decisive prayerful action uh, about things and this includes church as well and the last i i have for you is independence Independence. Uh, these are the the lone wolf types of which I'm very concerned about as a pastor. Uh, lone wolves don't make it very far by themselves. Uh, the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone, and I'm finding myself regularly needing to um, help people with this independence. They don't like others to be in their business. Uh, they don't mind friendship and you know nice people, but they really don't want accountability for their lives. Okay, so they're kind of living isolated and independent. And um, they might come to church every once in a while just to get what they need, but that's, that's what it's about. So there's, there's pride attached to an independent spirit. And so they think they're fine as Lone Ranger Christians. They claim, I'll always have my faith. It's kind of just me and Jesus. Okay, we're good, but I don't need the church. Right? So these are folks that... Um, you know, you find as you try to serve them and minister to them, interact with them, 1 John two nineteen, right? They left us because they were never of us to begin with. And so with those eyes, I'll add uh, one more that doesn't begin with an eye, and it's uh, unbelief. Unbelief. Why do, why do some people who claim to be Christians uh, not commit to church membership? Because of unbelief. They actually are not saved. They don't know in a saving way um, The Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So this includes some people who come to church week after week, month after month, even year after year, and they sit in the pew and they hear the Word. They might even hear the the gospel being preached, and yet they've never been converted yet to a saving knowledge of Jesus. So whatever the case, whatever the reason, as the shepherd of God's flock here at FBC, uh, these are problematic. Hey, this is very problematic. Whether it's because of ignorance or indifference or indecision or independence or unbelief, this is problematic and concerning. And, um, you know, let me just say this. I, I think that we should all also understand that going to church or even trying to become a member of a church is not done merely out of tradition or man-made rules. Hey, we shouldn't become members of a church just because it's, it's what my family grew up doing. Um, Church membership is not simply a a social club or a social activity, something we do just because our friends do it. It's not so we can learn helpful tips and get advice on how to be a good person. Uh, Church membership is not just so we can become uh, more moral people or better citizens of our country. It's definitely not what gets us into heaven Hey, going to church on Sundays doesn't, doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a forest makes you a tree or hanging out in a, in a cave makes you a bat or the Batman. So if not for any of those reasons, then, then what? Okay, why why church membership? Well, it's because the Bible tells us that the local church is where and how the Christian life is to be experienced and lived out in love with the fellowship of one another. That's the reason. So uh, consider this key principle, and you might want to write it down. This key principle, God's intent is that the local church be central to the life of his people. God's intent is that the local church be central to the life of his people. It's not just something we do on Sunday mornings. Okay, the local church is supposed to be central to believers' lives. And so, why church membership? Someone's, someone's going to say, hey, listen, Pastor, there's no chapter and verse in the Bible that says, Thou shalt become a member of a local church. And um, you know why they'll say that? Because there is no such verse. But my study over the years and my argument is that even though there's no chapter and verse in the Bible that says you shall become a member of a local church, my argument is that there are chapters and verses in the Bible that says believers must, should, become a member of a local church. And that's what we're going to look at today. Okay? These are the scriptures that deal with this basic Foundational, I'll say critical, I'll say crucial matter. Church membership is God's idea, not man's. It's not the creation of uh, me and Pastor Bill or any other pastor from the past. This is God's idea, not ours. So in your bulletin, uh, you have a bit of an outline there. And the outline reads, Four biblical bases, bases, uh, not bases. Okay, bases is the plural of basis Four biblical bases, which clearly imply and instruct Christians to become members of a local church. Okay, biblical bases from the Bible. And so you'll notice there for those four reasons four bases um, in parentheses are the scriptures that uh, we're we're looking at. OK, so we're not going to necessarily get through every single one, but I'm going to point to each one of them. And so I call these my four eggs, my four eggs that are birthed from the Bible as the basis for church membership. Okay? Four eggs. Why, why am I saying eggs? Because they all sound like eggs. The first one is the example, example of the early church. And like I told you, I, I'm trying to be helpful for you to remember these things. Okay. Why should Christians become members of the local church? Where is it in the Bible? Well, it's in the, the book of Acts and also... Uh, we'll see, just kind of um, expanding on that in the epistles. But uh, the first reason, the first biblical basis is the example of the early church. So the book of Acts, we want to always remember the context. The book of Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive. Okay, this is a basic rule of hermeneutics. Um, just because something is described in the book of Acts, which is a narrative portion of scripture, It is history it doesn't mean that we're supposed to do every single thing that we read about in the book of Acts. For example, just because Paul could um, heal people uh, by not even touching them, but by them touching his handkerchief, doesn't mean I should walk around in a hospital and throwing my handkerchief around and thinking because I'm a Christian and I'm a pastor that anybody who touches that handkerchief is going to get healed. Okay, That's kind of an extreme, silly example. but um, Descriptive means uh, it's describing something that happened. And this is the birth of the early church, the Acts of the Holy Spirit using the apostles to birth the church. This is the birth of the church. And so, even though that is the case, the descriptions that are found in Acts and other portions of history, including the Old Testament, they're helpful and instructive for us, especially when the pattern holds of what is being said in the book of Acts and it's repeated, even commanded in the rest of the New Testament, all right? So I hope we understand that. If we read about something that happens in the book of Acts and then we see it played out in the New Testament or commanded or instructed in the New Testament, that is basically prescriptive for us as Christians. It's prescribing us to do it, to follow it, all right? So much like the idea of a a believer not being baptized is foreign in the New Testament, Likewise, the idea of experiencing salvation in Christ without belonging to a local church is also foreign to the New Testament. And a quick footnote about churches in those early times. These were house churches gathered in people's homes, not like today where we have wonderful buildings and campuses and in some cases uh, chapels and cathedrals and everything. Um, Nonetheless, the early Christians assembled together. Okay, ecclesia, that word, means called-out ones who assemble together. And so they did it in houses, sometimes from house to house, and this was all new for them, um, but they automatically gathered together for worship on the Lord's Day. And so all that said, when individuals repented and believed in Jesus Christ, they were baptized, and their numbers were added to what? To the church, Acts 2.41 Acts 2, 47, Acts 5, 14, Acts 16, verse 5. In other words, their Christian life was more than simply living out a private commitment to Christ. It was done in a corporate, public setting. It meant joining together formally with other believers in a local assembly, a local body. They took count of the believers who were added to the church. And they were devoting themselves to teaching of God's word and fellowship Like we read in Acts chapter 2, that famous passage, right? Verses 37 to 47. Their worship and life together included the breaking of bread, observing communion, praying together, sharing in life, caring for each other's needs, both physical and spiritual. And also listen to some of these phrases in the book of Acts. This this terminology fits only with the concept of church membership. Acts 6 verse 5 It says the whole congregation, the whole congregation. Acts 8, verse 1 says the church in Jerusalem, a particular local body that they were talking about. Acts 9, 26, the disciples in Jerusalem, they were gathering together uh, in, in a particular place. Acts 14, verse 23, it says in every church. In other words, there were different gatherings of local bodies in different houses Acts 15, verse 17, it says the whole church. Acts 20, verse 17, it says the elders of the church. And now there's particular people who are leading the church. And that one's in Ephesus, Acts 20, verse 17. So, further, after the book of Acts, have you ever considered who most of the New Testament letters were written to? Who are most of the New Testament epistles written to? That's right, the church. The church at Rome, the church in Corinth, the churches in Galatia, those were kind of spread. The church at Ephesus, in Philippi, Colossae, Thessalonia, which we're going to start next week. Thessalonia, Thessal- Thessalonians, right? Thessalonians. And so additionally, even a few of the New Testament letters that were written to individuals, right? First and Second Timothy, Titus, these individuals were leaders of what? The church, the local church. So the book of Acts and the New Testament letters clearly demonstrate that the Lord assumed believers would be committed to a local assembly, a local body of believers, which is the local church. So that's my first egg, the example of the early church, which we see in the book of Acts, and then just kind of played out, demonstrated in the rest of the epistles. The second egg I have as a biblical basis for church membership is the ex- existence of church government. Okay? The existence of church government. And when I say church government, I mean basically elders and deacons. Okay? The consistent pattern throughout the New Testament is that a plurality of elders, pastors, are to lead and oversee each local body of believers. Some of those passages, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 especially, also include the need for deacons in the church, right? So, elders, you might think of it this way elders lead by serving. Actually, elders serve by leading, sorry, and deacons lead by serving. Okay? There's some overlap there, but this is how God designed the church to function and flourish. Okay? This hierarchy, this authority structure is God's idea. And the specific duties that God gives to elders presuppose that there's a clearly defined group of church members who are under the elders' care. And those responsibilities include shepherding God's people, Acts 20, verse 28, 1 Peter 5, verse 2, to labor diligently among them. And that's our part of our job description, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12, We are to have charge over the flock, which is in also 1 Thessalonians 5.12 and 1 Timothy 5.17, and also to keep watch over their souls, Hebrews 13.17. The Bible says in that verse that the elders of the church will give an account to God for the individuals allotted to their charge. I and Pastor Bill, we take this responsibility very seriously, that we're going to give an account to God over our spiritual oversight of you all. The clear implication with these responsibilities is that there is a distinguishable, mutually understood membership in the local church. In other words, uh, pastors and elders can shepherd the people and give an account to God for their spiritual well-being only if they know who the church members are. I and Pastor Bill can only provide oversight for those who've committed to Faith Bible Church membership. Okay, we need to know who is part of the flock and who is not. So we are not responsible for the spiritual oversight of a man we see almost every time we meet at Panera. Um, there's a guy who comes and, and talks with us every time, and he's, he says he's a Christian, and we talk about some things. But uh, we love to talk with him. We love to reach out to him. And yet, we're not responsible primarily for his spiritual oversight. So on a related note, I think we should understand this, that pastors and elders are not primarily responsible for the spiritual well-being of every single individual who visits the church or those who attend sporadically. Again, obviously, this doesn't mean that we don't care for every single person who God brings to our church. Of course we care. Of course we want to reach out. Of course we're trying to minister and serve people. Every single soul that the Lord brings to our church. But our primary duty is to shepherd those who have submitted themselves to the care and authority of the Faith Bible Church elders here. And this is done through church membership. Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. So who are your leaders if you're not a member of a church? Okay, that verse is very important. It implies that every believer who knows who it is that they must submit to. Okay, it, it clearly assumes uh, um, defined church membership. Okay, part of joining a church means you are placing yourself under the authority and oversight of its leaders. And truth be told, becoming a member uh, of a church helps the pastors and elders of that church be more faithful shepherds. Okay, So the existence of church government is another biblical basis for, for church membership. The third one, the third egg, is the exercise of church discipline. And this is found most famously in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 19, where Jesus outlines the way that the church is to seek the restoration of a member who is in sin. 1 Corinthians 5 also uh, speaks to that. But um, this this, uh, process, which is famously known as church discipline, I sometimes call it church restoration because that's the hope and aim, But uh, it's a four-step process. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 18 for a brief moment here. Matthew chapter 18. Turn in your Bibles there. The exercise of church discipline, these four steps. So verse 15, Jesus speaking here. He says, if your brother sins, and obviously he's not talking about your physical brother who's not a believer. He means brother in Christ. A Christian, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. So when a brother or sister in Christ sins, he or she is to be confronted privately by a single individual. Folks, this, this uh, process of church discipline, it sounds very formal and stern and um, you know hard and stuff, but it can be a conversation. Right? Someone's in sin, and you just go talk to them. And it could be one and done. <laughs> There's no need for any of the other steps. And truth be told, that's usually the way it happens. Right? So somebody is confronted, and they, they recognize they're in sin. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Or who do I need to ask forgiveness? And it gets forgiven, and we're done. Right? That's how Jesus wants his church to function and flourish in unity. And so, um, you know, let me just use the example of uh, adultery. Okay, let's say someone is is caught in the sin of adultery. As, as awful as that would be, we um, you, you wouldn't expect it at a Christian church. But you know what? Sometimes it happens. And um, is that a private matter, right? Just with them and the family? That's not. That's not. You know. That's too too sensitive. Let's not talk. Um, not in the church loving church family. It's not. Okay, if you love someone and they're in that kind of sin and they're part of the church family, you're to go to them and confront them, and you know what? If, if they're turned from their sin and they repent, uh, you've won your brother, you've won your sister, and uh, they're restored. The second step, though, if they refuse to repent, is verse 16, but if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If they refuse to repent, that individual who confronted them is to take one or two other believers from the church along with them to confront this one who is in sin and if he repents at that point if she repents at that point praise the lord right doesn't need to go any further again this is jesus in his wisdom and love giving us instruction how we're supposed to deal with sin in the church but uh the next step if he refused to listen to them this two or three that has been brought along, it says, tell it to the church. Okay, If the sinning brother or sister refuses to listen to these, this next uh, small group of people who is, who is confronting them, uh, it's now being told to the church. It has to be told to the church. Why is that? So now the whole church knows, and the whole church can come and pray and also have opportunity to go and have a discussion, a conversation, a confrontation with this person and call them to repentance and return to Christ and return to the church. And so the last step, okay, by the way, it's not to be shared on, on social media. Uh, it's not to be shared with other members of local churches and have it be a, a source of gossip or rumors to other churches. It's talking about church members going to to the church that they are, they are part of. And so this ends in verse um, in chapter, or the step four, which is the last part of verse 17. It says, tell the churches, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, okay, after there's been a season of time, a stretch of time, that the church has been confronted and they refuse to repent, it says, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Okay, In other words, they are to be basically banished from the local church of which they were a member. Okay? And so treated as an unbeliever because they are demonstrating no fruit of salvation, no fruit of genuine faith in Jesus by their refusal to repent of their sin. Okay? So in 1 Corinthians 5, which I, I mentioned before, um, Paul rebukes the local church at Corinth uh, for not disciplining gross sexual sin, gross sexual immorality of the incestuous kind. And he's saying, church, what are you doing? Tolerating sin and boasting about it. So you should have have put them out after the steps of church discipline have been established. And so the point is this. The exercise of church discipline presupposes that elders of a local church know who the members of their church are. And again, that the, for us here at, at Faith Bible Church, we're, we're not um, responsible or authoritative over disciplining a member of the church down the street. Okay, whether it's Grace Community Church or First Baptist Church uh, of, of Canoga Park, like that's not our primary responsibility, nor is it any realm of our authority, uh, me and Pastor Bill. Okay, you must be a member of a church to receive such discipline such loving care that seeks to restore your soul and your standing before the Lord and in the church body. So the exercise of church discipline is another clear biblical basis for church membership. Okay, the last one is the exhortation, exhortation of mutual edification. Okay, you have some blanks there, all these four eggs. The fourth and final egg is the exhortation of mutual edification. And the New New Testament teaches that the church, as I said, is the body of Christ and that God has called every member of that body to a life devoted to the growth of that church body. We saw that clearly last week as I preached about the purpose of the local church. From Ephesians 4, we were in that text uh, starting in verse 11, um, but elsewhere as well. We saw that all believers are responsible to edify one another, to practice those one another's of the New Testament. That's what I mean when I say mutual edification. Okay, mutual means you're doing it to each other, right? It's not just one-sided. So mutual edification, the one another's of the New Testament, using our gifts, our abilities to build up each other in the local church. There's over 60 of those one another's in the New Testament, Forty seven of those verses are imperatives, okay, commands given directly to the church, mutual edification once again. This means offering ourselves to one another to be encouraged, rebuked, corrected, cared for, and served. And I think those of us who have been around for a while I have noticed that we live in such a low commitment culture. Uh, this has happened more and more over the years. There's no sense of loyalty, whether you, you look at the business world or the sports world or um, whatever. Um, and this, this affects the church as well. Okay, becoming a member of a church is is like making a, a countercultural statement. Okay, you want to be a countercultural revolutionary? Become a member of the local church. You're going against the tide of the world and society and our culture these days. By becoming a member, you're saying I am committed to this group of people and this group of people is committed to me. I'm here to give more than to get. Does that sound like counterculture to you? Most of us think of counterculture and you, you think of like the 60s hippie movement, right? Just peace out, smoke out, drop out, all that. No, Counterculture is being a Christian and being a faithful Christian. And um, membership says, I am part of something bigger than myself. Okay? I'm not just one of a just kind of separate group of 100 people, 100 individuals. I'm part of something bigger than myself. I am part of a body, okay? a local body. I like what Pastor Mark Dever said. Quote, this is in his uh, Nine Marks book. He says, quote, church membership is our opportunity to grasp hold of each other in responsibility and love. By identifying ourselves with a particular church, we let the pastors and other members of that local church know that we intend to be committed in attendance, giving, prayer, and service. We allow fellow believers to have great expectations of us in these areas, and we make it known that we are the responsibility of this local church. We assure the Church of our commitment to Christ in serving with them, and we call for their commitment to serve and encourage as well end quote. I think that's helpful for our understanding of, of what it is to be a member of a local church we we're, we're just you know this is not a, a Sunday social club, right so just very super quickly and briefly, we talked a little bit about the one another's last week already. So let me just give you some helpful categories of these one another's. Okay, roughly a third of these one another commands in the New Testament um, are about Christians in the local body loving each other. Okay, one third of them. Um, I can give you the scriptures, but I'll just give you a few. Uh, John thirteen thirty four, which I mentioned last week. John fifteen twelve. Romans 1 Thessalonians three twelve. We could go on, but just a few examples. Love one another. Just straight up. That's what it says. Um, Through love, serve one another. Galatians five thirteen. Uh, Be devoted to one another in love. Romans twelve ten, which uh, we read earlier today. Okay, so love is about one third of those one another's. Another third is about dealing with unity in the church. Dealing with unity, how important that tells us uh, unity is to Christ, how he values unity. There's one-third of the one-anothers um, deal with that particular aspect of our life with each other. Ro- Mark 9, 50, Jesus says, be at peace with one another. And then that goes to the New Testament. Romans 12:16, again, which we read earlier. Be of the same mind with one another is what it says. And Romans 15, 5. Also, First um, Corinthians eleven thirty three says, "Wait for one another before beginning the Eucharist," as, as an example of of unity. And um, Ephesians four verse two says, "Gently, patiently tolerate one another," which is so helpful for being united. Okay, so there's a whole bunch of other ones, but another category. Okay, about fifteen percent of the one another commands they stress humility humility. Okay, there's no unity without humility. I would argue that there's no real love without humility as well. So Romans 12 was a very important passage. That's why it was our scripture reading today. But verse 10 again says, give preference to one another in honor. Philippians 2 verse 3, one of my favorites, says, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Okay, With humility of mind, Philippians 2 verse 3. Romans twelve sixteen, which we read earlier again. Don't be haughty, which means proud, right? Be of the same mind. That's stressing unity. Okay, so um, there's a few kissing verses uh, in the Bible. Kiss one another. Uh, four of them actually. Romans sixteen verse sixteen, First Corinthians sixteen verse twenty, Second Corinthians thirteen verse twelve, and First Thessalonians five twenty six. And greet one another with a holy kiss. Okay, brother and sister in Christ, that's a little bit just depending on your context and the culture and the living situation. But uh, there's a certain affection that Christians have for one another. And so that's uh, another. And then there's a whole bunch of other ones which don't have their own category, but different things that are addressed, which um, I mentioned some of those last week. So we will um, just reiterate the point. Okay, These exhortations of ministerial responsibility, mutual edification, Okay, they assume that there is the commitment of believers to each other in a specific local church. And church membership is simply the formal way to make that commitment. Okay? Mutual edification. Real life, soul-on-soul, life-on-life ministry. It's primarily supposed to take place in the context of the corporate body of Christ. Okay, again, it's not doesn't mean that you're supposed to ignore other believers and not extend that same kind of care but all of these one another's are primarily in the context of the local church. All right, so to conclude church membership does matter and it should matter to you if you're a Christian. At the very least I hope you're convinced of what God says in his word about this very important matter four biblical bases, which we've laid out for you. And um, the concluding food for thought is this. Commitment to the local church is an expression of your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, who purchased the church with his blood. And that's what it says in Acts chapter 20. Jesus Christ, who purchased the church with his own blood, he paid the price for us. And that is, that is part and parcel of, that is the gospel, right? That Jesus died for sinners so that we could be saved, we could be reconciled uh, to God, with whom before we were enemies with, whether we know it or not. We're hostile to him because we reject his son. We don't believe in his son, who is God. And so we turn away and we go our own way. But Jesus rescues us from that. He rescues us from living a life apart from the glory of God, living for ourselves and our own pleasure, our own sin, our own satisfaction, and he ties it up with his grand purposes for the entire universe and into eternity. Jesus died so that sinners could live. And so he wants us to not live that life independently, isolated, but part of a local body. Commitment to the church is an expression of your commitment to your Savior and Lord, if you're a Christian. So Mark Dever lastly says, the doctrine of the church is important because it is tied to the good news itself. The church is to be the appearance of the gospel. It is what the gospel looks like when played out in people's lives. Take away the church and you take away the visible manifestation of the gospel in the world. So, end quote, when every believer is faithful to do as God has said, instructed in the Bible, and we're committed to one another in the local body, we are, we are being his representatives together. Hey, representatives, we're showing, we're displaying what the gospel and what Christ and the cross is all about. And we don't do it perfectly, like I said before, but we do it as faithfully and as best we can by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is vital to the cause of the gospel. So I hope that's been helpful and instructive for for us and maybe just a a reminder for others. But um, it is so, so important, dear people, and I hope you're able to know this and own this for yourself and be able to explain it to someone based on what God has said so clearly in his word. Let's pray. Father, you've given these truths to us out of love and care for your people, And for those who you want to save by the precious blood of Christ and ultimately, God, you've created the church so that your name, once again, your character and the truth of of all that you are um, would be honored and glorified and known. So thank you so much for our precious body here at Faith Bible Church and all the faithful churches that are uh, in the world uh, seeking to Be a light to the world and to grow one another in Christ so that we would truly see you more clearly, follow you more nearly, and love you more dearly. We thank you, God. We do love you. Help us to love you more in faithfulness. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen.